The First Tee with Robbie Greenfield and Zane Scotland. Brought to you by the DP World Tour, the race to Dubai. Hello and welcome to episode two of the First Tee podcast with DP World Tour, hosted by myself, Robbie Greenfield and Zane Scotland. Coming up on the show, we're previewing the greatest show in golf in full as we look ahead to this week's Ryder Cup. We've recruited a big gun from across the pond to help us sort the myths and the misconceptions from the answers to the event's biggest questions like why the US haven't won in Europe for 30 years and does the data matter more than the team dynamics? Claude Harmon, world-renowned coach to Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson joins us momentarily for that deep dive. We're also going to chat to Italian star Guido Migliozzi and get his thoughts on what the Ryder Cup could do for golf in the country. But before all that, I start by saying buongiorno and I hope I've pronounced that correctly but I probably haven't to my co-host Mr. Zane Scotland. How are we, Zane? Really good, Robbie. Excited. Coming off the back of a really good week we just had in golf, now to the biggest week in golf that we've basically been waiting for two years. It's my personal favourite. I mean, the Ryder Cup is special for so many reasons. We're going to talk a little bit about our own memories of it and our own kind of first experiences of it. Claude will be joining the conversation very shortly. Before we go anywhere, Zane, Solheim Cup, absolutely epic 14-14 Europe retaining the Solheim Cup first time they've managed to win it three times in a row or at least retain the trophy three times in a row and I mean it was everything you could want from a team competition wasn't it the ebbs and flows the heroism down the stretch Carlotta Siganda in her own country coming up against the former world number one Nelly Korda and, and making those clutch putts down the stretch to basically wrestle it away from the US team it was absolutely vintage wasn't it it all came together like a bit of a movie really like you said there we had Carlotta to get in the the final putt to retain the cup but just before that Caroline Hebble just turned it around you know five birdies on the back nine and just made those fantastic putts coming in and somehow went from one down to to one up 16 17 great putts ends up winning her match and then that was just paved the way for Carlotta Saganda to go ahead for anyone that saw it yeah, they would have enjoyed it, but if you didn't see it, playing against Nelly Corder, fantastic player, ex world number one, Carter hit a stunning shot into 17, basically to kick in distance. So I think it would have been, in any other scenario, it would have been a given putt. And to go on and have the Carter in her home country to knock in that putt, to make the two, to retain the cup. What a moment that was in her golfing career and a moment for, for women's golf and, and golf in general. How that panned out, just absolutely brilliant because all the players on the European team were talking about how much of a character that Carlotta is and you can see her energy you know and you know being in Spain she just like, really embraced it all and there was some, some chat and interviews afterwards that she said Suzanne Pedersen had basically approached her on the 16th and said this is all coming down to you now is this, is this what you want and she was absolutely she's like this is what I want right here which is great which is what sport's all about it's under the biggest pressure, playing for a team and like, you know, having that player who wants the ball. And she took the ball and she did exactly what she needed to do. And Europe remained unbeaten, retained the cup. I mean, there is some chat about it was fourteen fourteen. You know, on the in, in you know, in other in other times, I know that's a task. Like they didn't quite get past them, but they, but they knew that was a task from the beginning. They retained the cup and the cup stays in European soil. Well done to all the women on that team. Do you think, Zane, and this is a bit facetious maybe, but 
should there be like a sudden death 14 in the event of a tie you each team pick a player and you send them out for a sudden death hole by hole match play to decide the Solheim Cup you know because there was that weird scene wasn't it where where Lexi's you know finishing off and, and it's going to be a draw and there's going to be obviously a lot of joy from the European perspective, but the match is a tie. It's 14-14, inseparable at the end. It felt like a European victory because of Headwall and what you just said with, with Carlotta. But um, I don't know. It, would that be crazy to send them out, to send them back out and get a result? <laughs> I mean, that, they knew that's the task. We all know that's the rule, but there is a little piece of like, can we just see an actual winner on the week? Like... It doesn't happen in many other sports. Obviously, it happens in the Ashes, doesn't it? But, yeah, oh, how good would that be? You know, just to send someone out, you know, both pink actors pick a player. Or what you could do, you could do like a, a foursomes. So, like, you know, one you pick a player to hit the tee shot, then you pick a player to hit the approach shot, you know, and, and roll that way. That could get really, really we, interesting. We're getting complicated now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> mainly in American sports, they, they need to see a result. They need to see a winner come what may. It needs to go to overtime. Um, we, we are a lot more happy, as you say, over here in the UK with our cricket playing out an entire Ashes <laughs> series and the whole thing finishing 2-2. But uh, yeah, I mean, there was a, just a slight, slight element of anticlimax. It was nail-biting. It was a brilliant watch. It was thoroughly absorbing and a massive congratulations to Suzanne Pettersson and to uh, Team Europe for retaining the cup and, and holding the trophy three years in a row. And we don't have to wait that long because the Solheim Cup will return in 2024. It's moving to alternate years with the Ryder Cup. And I guess, I mean, without further ado, Zane, let's talk Ryder Cup. It is the week of the Ryder Cup. My excitement levels have been bubbling up for a while now. Actually doing this podcast with you has just added to those excitement levels. We're going to be talking with Claude Harmon very shortly, coach to Brooks Kepka, coach to Dustin Johnson. Very keen to get his thoughts as a man who's been at each and every one of those Ryder Cups for the last three decades on the inside, in the team room, in the inner sanctum. Give me your favourite or earliest memories of the Ryder Cup. When did it first grab you? Zane, when did it first win your heart? My first Ryder Cup I actually went to when I just started playing golf in 1993, a long, long time ago at the Belfry. And there's one thing about a Ryder Cup which is just like no other sporting event I've ever been to. It's just like the noise of the cheers. When you do the park and ride and you're two miles away in a European Ryder Cup and you get out of your car and you're trekking across the field to the bus, and you just hear a massive roar go up, and you just know that's a European birdie, or that's a US birdie, depending on the levels of it all. It's like nothing else. And I went to the one in 97 at Valderrama, and being on the 18th green on a Friday, so early on, and Jose Maria Lazaba had a 10-foot putt on the last half his match on the Friday afternoon. And we were, I was quite small, so I was right in front of the gallery, and you hold this putt, and... We were screaming at the top of our voices and you couldn't hear yourself shout. And like, there were those moments like that you think this is absolutely electric. It's just what a tournament it is. And, you know, we've got three great days coming we do. up. Yeah, that, that's the first one I remember watching on TV is Valderrama with Seve driving around like a madman on his, on his cart and uh, Monty in the rain 
anchorman in the singles, you know, bringing it home for, for Europe. And I, I absolutely fell in love with the competition. It, I think it was Tiger's first Ryder Cup. It was the year that Tiger had won the Masters by 12 shots as well. So it was a, a real kind of sea change year for golf. I think he came a cropper against Costantino Rocca, if I do recall, yeah. in that Ryder got, Cup. Yeah. And then Francesco's book beat him at some point as well. He's not being great against He's Italians. not. No, he's in not. You're absolutely Cup. right. You're absolutely right. And of course, that's where the Ryder Cup is headed. Italy is the destination. It is the Marco Simone Country Club just northeast of Rome for the 44th edition of the Ryder Cup. And just to give you a little context before we bring in Claude Harmon into the conversation, the USA are the defending champions. They absolutely trounced Europe 19-9 at Whistling Straits two years ago. A lot of people at the time said this was a watershed win. It would usher in a lengthy spell of American dominance, similar to the European dominance that we've witnessed over the last couple of decades. However, and there is a caveat here, Zane. The USA have not won in Europe since your very first Ryder Cup, that 15-13 success at the Belfry in 1993 when you were a young lad of, what, 11, 12 years of age? I mean, that Unfortunately, is a, 30 years ago. 30 years ago. I mean, Europe, Europe, just to give you a couple of the guys that Europe had on their team that year, Barry Lane, Costantino Rocca, Mark James and Seve were all on that European team that year. That is a long time to go without winning on European soil if you are Team USA. Now, this year, it's Zach Johnson captaining USA. It's Luke Donald captaining the European team. And I think it's fair to say, Zane, the build-up dominated around live golf, the eligibility of players on both sides. In the end, only Brooks Kepka from Live was selected, having won a major, having finished runner-up in the Masters. We're about to chat to his coach, but Brooks is the only man who plays now for Live Golf who will be on either of those sides in Rome. The European era, Zane, of your Ian Poulters, your Lee Westwoods, your Sergio Garcias, that has come to an end. Henrik Stenson was going to be the captain. He forfeited that chance when he joined Live Golf, handing the role to Luke Donald. So, I mean, that that is the build-up in a nutshell, Zane. I mean, a lot has gone on in the world of golf these last couple of years since our last Ryder Cup back in 2021. It frames it wonderfully, doesn't it? It really puts it on a knife edge heading into this week in Rome. It really does. I mean, when uh, Live Golf came about, it really, I think the Ryder Cup was really in the balance. And it was like, is this, is this the end of the Ryder Cup? And now, kind of fast forward, we can actually say, you know what, the Ryder Cup has almost gotten better. And it's definitely lived through it and it's, set and it's held its own in the midst of all the ups and downs that have gone on. It's held its own. And uh, we, somehow we've now got three great days of golf coming up. All the, I think there's some opinions, you know, I've got my own opinions on who should have been picked, who shouldn't have been picked. But at the same time, there's not a weak player on either side. So you can say, oh, he should have been in or he should have been in. But, it's, but still... The players that have been picked, there's nobody there you think he won't, you know, he's not going to offer up. There's every single player there is going to be someone who they're going to look across the tee across the other side and think, I've got a tough day today. So lots of opinions as always, which is kind of what makes the Ryder Cup great. But I think we've got such a spectacle in front of us uh, coming up and what a guy to take us through that coming up on this uh, on this pod. Yeah, very, very pleased to be able to welcome our good friend Claude Harmon into the conversation then. One of the leading golf instructors on the planet, coach to both Brooks Kepka and former world number one, Dustin Johnson, a man who did not make the team this year, but did go 5-0 and at Whistling Straits. Claude, it's great to have you with us. And I'll start by asking, 
What's it like being a coach during Ryder Cup week? Yeah, it's interesting because obviously week to week, all the players now have their teams of people around them. Um, from people like myself to coaches to trainers to physios. That's different at the Ryder Cup because you have your group of people that you're used to being around and then you've got the team environment. Some of the captains um, have been very embracing of each individual player's backroom staff. I think most of the guys, um, Brooks, I mean, we're leaving tonight. Uh, We're flying over. Ricky Elliott, his caddy, myself, and then his physio, Mark Wall, the three of us are the ones that will be over there with Brooks' team. But once Brooks gets to Rome, he becomes part of the U.S. team. I think last year was really the best I felt the U.S. team kind of embraced everything. I think the Europeans have been, Robbie, so successful in that the captains in Europe have, in my opinion, it has been less about them and more about the team. And letting the players, you know, I've talked extensively through the the TV work I do with Sky. I've gotten to know Paul McGinley very, very well. And I think Paul was kind of the archetypal um, prototype for what a modern Ryder Cup captain could and should be, using analytics, using data. But I think there's a myth. And Paul was on my podcast um, last last time the Ryder Cup came around. We talked about this. The Europeans have never really all gotten along like everybody says they have. But I think what the captains have done a great job at from a European standpoint is letting the players do what the players do. Not coming in and saying, okay, I'm the captain and I'm going to tell you what to do. And I think I felt from a U.S. standpoint that at at, at Whistling Straits, the U.S. backroom staff and the team embraced letting the – they were asking the players, hey, what do you guys want to do today? Do you guys want to play nine holes today? Do you want to play 18 holes today? Um, do you guys want to play in the morning? Do you guys want to play in the afternoon? I've been a part of Ryder Cups to where the players don't get asked anything. They just get told what to do. And whether you rightly or wrongly in 2023, the modern day athlete wants to feel like they're involved in the process, which is one of the reasons why I think the U.S. performed so well is the captains all came to the players and said, listen, you guys told us what you want to do. And so, I think Paul McGinley did a fantastic job at Glen Eagles and doing that with the European team. And I think the U.S. team is taking a little bit more of that approach, you know, the Hal Sutton approach of I'm going to pair Tiger and Phil Mickelson together at Oakland Hills when obviously those two are not close. It backfired. (laughs) But that, I think, was Hal Sutton saying, no, 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 I'm the captain. I'm going to put my stamp on this. And in my opinion, I, the Euros have done a little bit better job at letting the players play, but I think the U.S. is is in a good place right now. Cool. You know, just real quickly on that, at Glen Eagles, uh, the Europeans really took down this this run of going down numbers. Really. Like Paul was into his numbers and his stats and his facts, and he he brought in a team of stat specialists, uh, strokeoverage.com, to go through all the players, all the numbers, how they put their games together, who was a good driver of the ball, who was a good putter, you know, what type of courses suited which player, golf balls, all of these parts. Obviously, some of it, a lot of it is to do with, like you chatted there about characters and so forth. How much in your time that you've seen in Ryder Cups is it now not picked just on like emotion or a personality? Does it seem like people have to get on really well to be a partnership? It's a myth that the Euros all get along, right? I mean, it's just, it is. It's a myth that every two years you're going to pick a group of people that just all get along because 
they come from Europe, right? I, I certainly think more so this year from the U.S. side. Um, in talking to you know Brooks and Ricky Elliott as caddy, who they went over and did a kind of scouting. I think you've got three teams on the U.S. that you would think would be set, right? And in, in my opinion, I think you're going to see Sam Burns and Scotty Scheffler play together because they played junior golf together. They're they're good friends and, and things like that. I definitely think you're going to see JT and Jordan Spieth play together. And then I think you're going to see Xander and Patrick Cantlay play together because they're boys, right? So I think then how you manage the other teams, I think it's going to be really, really important. I think Europe has, do, has done a better job at that, is in, in picking players that maybe mesh together from a stats standpoint. But I have heard rumors that kind of the Euro stats guys have kind of gone through and looked at where the Euros stack up against the U.S. And one of the areas that they've kind of identified is from an iron standpoint, the Euros from 180 to kind of 200 to 210 are much better statistically than the U.S. And in talking to Brooks and Ricky, it seems like all the par threes are set up right around 180 to 210 yards. A lot of the par fours, the second shots are going to be right around 180 to 200 yards. And that's one of the things that the home side has, a lot of people don't know this, the license to set the golf course up the way they want to set it up. And I think we're starting to see that because they're starting in Europe to grow the rough up. I mean, the rough... In talking to Brooks and Ricky, the rough in, in Italy is is brutal. I mean, you're struggling to find a golf ball if you miss a fairway. So I do think, you know, Zane, with analytics in general, right, when we look at analytics from a golf standpoint, if you're not using data, I think you're missing something. But on the same side of that, if all you're using is data and you're not looking at what's actually happening on the ground and saying, okay, the data tells me to pair these two guys together – but maybe they don't get along so well, or maybe one of them's not playing so well, or maybe one of them needs kind of a shoulder to cry. I think we are seeing, Zane, um, the rookies are, are are not what they used to be, right? The way the modern game, I mean, if you look at Luda Albert, you look at the way he's come out and played. The knock against him is he's never even played a major and he's on a Ryder Cup. But these young kids come out, Zane, they just, they have no fear. They don't care. They're not overawed by the stage. Now, the Ryder Cup is very, very different. It's a completely different animal. But I think the Euros over the last 30 years have been able to throw rookies into the mix, and the rookies have been able to perform. And they haven't been overawed by the situation. And I think the U.S. team uh, maybe hasn't had that. But I do think that in looking at the data, you have to do that, right? You have to figure out, okay, how does this golf course set up for my players and what competitive advantage can we get from trying to moneyball some of this stuff? When you look back at Whistling Straits, Claude, uh, you know, Podrick Harrington, by all accounts, was a great captain, very popular, you know, made all the right choices. You kind of feel like Europe could have had anyone and they were going to get steamrolled that year because the U.S. were playing very, very good golf on a course that was perfectly suited to them. Looking at the captains this time around, first of all, I'd love to know how, how, how much of an advantage a good captain you think is. And 
I think there, there's parallels to be drawn between Zach Johnson and Luke Donald as players, kind of overachievers. Johnson with his two majors, Donald getting to world number one. You know, short hitters fundamentally. You know, that famous stat that, that Zach Johnson didn't make a single par five in two the year that he won the Masters. Uh, but there's a grittiness and a sort of steeliness to their characters, I think, that is going to match up very well. So... How do you see those contrasting approaches between those two captains? And I'd love to get your take on how advantageous a good captain is to a team. It's interesting that the captains will tell you none of this matters. It's what the players do on the golf course, right? Ultimately, if the players don't perform, then it doesn't really matter what the captains do. And historically, for the last 30 years... You can be the best captain in the world if you have a bunch of guys that aren't making any putts. I mean, the U.S. has had, yeah. if you look at the U.S. roster in the last 30 years, we have the best players of the modern era, right? You could make an argument for that. We, For the last 30 years, up until this year, we've had Tiger and Phil. And we've historically gotten very little production in points out of them. They haven't putted the way they normally putt. They haven't performed the way they normally perform. Now, why is that? I, I don't know. But... I do think that when the it's a little bit, I think being a coach, like I am, my dad always says that when players play well, the coach gets too much credit. And when players play poorly, the coach gets too much of the blame. I think in the Ryder Cup, it comes down to do your players perform? Do they perform when it matters? So if you look at Paris, for example, the Euros basically putted us off the golf course. They made every putt. Frankie and, and Tommy Fleetwood made every putt they looked at for three days. Literally every putt they looked at for three days. DJ putted tremendously at Whistling Straits. That's why he went 5-0. and oh. So I think the captain is, is good in situations to where maybe the player gets, the, the team gets down, and then he can use some sort of motivation tactic. But guys, these, these are grown men, right? They, they should need a captain to kind of come in and tell them what to do. The captain's role is organizational and creating an environment and a culture for the team to thrive. And I think the good captains do that. And I also would say, if you look at the big egos that have been captains, obviously Sir Nick Faldo probably has as big an ego as anybody in the game. That's why he has been such a great player you can't be number one in the world and dominate the way nick did during his career to win all the majors he without a massive ego that is a strength and a positive but they did not play well for nick faldo he didn't he wasn't a great captain he was a great player but the u.s team played great at valhalla and you know hal sutton was a very big character right he was a big character he wanted to kind of his way or the highway. Tom Watson is a very big character. Um, and I think the Euros sometimes have had captains that have been able to just kind of go, hey, let me just get out of the way and let these guys do it. I've seen more of that approach from the U.S. team the last three Ryder Cups than I saw before. When you're dealing with 12 guys, it's hard to get everybody on the same page. It's hard to get everybody to do the same thing. But I think the great captains create a culture and an environment to where the players can perform. Looking at another sport, you know, being, you know, coming from the UK, football is a, is a, you know, a massive sport for us. Our soccer, as Claude would understand it. And I've got a friend who 
he's been a, he's been a coach with Real Madrid, Chelsea, PSG. You know the best the best clubs in the world. And he looked up when I chat to him and say, "What's it like managing egos of people like John Terry, Cristiano Ronaldo, Neymar, these guys?" And he'll say, he'll say to you, "See those guys, you want their egos because yeah. their skill level matches their ego." You set them a task, you sit back and go, you go and do you. You want their ego. Their ego is why they're there. And we've probably seen in some of those names you mentioned there, Claude, with big captains, ex-best fantastic players, almost imposing their selves a bit too much, which then gets in the way of the current players' kind of ego and places. Not to say Tom Watson's not a fantastic golfer, you know, and lots of people love him. Nick Fowler, same sort of thing. Fantastic golfer, did what he needed to do. But... uh, some of the, the best captains we're seeing are guys that are just they're enabling each player properly. You know, there's some interesting stories that of how Paul McGinley dealt with Victor De Buisson. Victor De Buisson, a bit of a loner, you know, likes to do his own thing, feels uncomfortable in the company of a lot of people he doesn't know. So Paul went and set basically set him up like a team room for him and his pals that he could yep. escape to if he wanted to. Now, I can't imagine uh, some of the bigger ego captains allowing that, that, you know, you should just get on with it. But you know what? He got the best out of Victor. Well, and, and for a long time, I think the litmus test to be a Ryder Cup captain for the U.S. was you had to have won a major, right? You had to have won a major, right? And for a long time, you couldn't be a Ryder Cup captain for the U.S. side unless you won the PGA Championship because the Ryder Cup was is in the U.S. is run by the PGA of America. That's another big distinction that I don't think a lot of fans understand. In America, the U.S. Ryder Cup team is run by the PGA of America, not by the PGA Tour. In Europe, the Ryder Cup team is run by, historically, it was run by the European Tour. Now it's run by the DP World Tour, right? So I think the U.S. was always a little bit at a disadvantage because the people involved in the Ryder Cup setup from a European standpoint were all the same people that they saw week in and week out on the European Tour anyway. Right. So there were people they were comfortable with. There were people that they knew, people that they trusted because they saw them week in and week out. I think for a long time, and again, this is just my opinion, the Europe, the U.S. team would come in and we would see a bunch of people that we see maybe once a year at the PGA Championship. We didn't see anybody that we saw normally that was on the PGA Tour. And there is a comfort level in that. But guys, going back to this thing that I keep saying, from a, from a putting standpoint, Jose Maria Othabo was an unbelievable captain at my, Medina, the miracle at Medina. I mean, it was a, it was a, an, for those of us that were lucky to be there, and I was, I was on the U.S. side, but it was a very unique experience. And it was almost like, and you could feel that Jose, when that Ryder Cup ended, you know, the, the emotion the tears of saying that he did it for Seve, that they were going to do it for Seve, right? That's a great story, and it's amazing. But none of that means anything <laughs> if 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 Ian Poulter doesn't put his ass off down the stretch. It doesn't mean anything unless Justin Rose holds that massive putt at 17 from 40 feet. If those putts don't go in, the fact that Jose Maria Lothobos channel and Sebi Ballesteros and they've got all this great spirit, if those putts go, don't go in, none of that stuff matters. It saying, really doesn't matter. Are we giving the emblem too much credit, Claude? No, it's just, I think that... 
having been a part of a lot of these and been lucky enough to be a lot part of a lot of these Ryder Cups, I've watched, you know, in the 90s, I went to all these Ryder Cups with my dad to where the U.S. is not only on paper, but in every category better than the European team. I mean, every player was better. They had more majors. They had more winners. And we got beat. And we kept getting beat because the Euros played better for the three days. And that's the thing. It's going to be which guys show up. Are you going to get points from your superstars? Are guys that you didn't think you were going to get points step up? And every year there's a couple of guys on on both teams that are, they kind of, it's their coming out party, right? It is their, their, them being brought to the world stage. And I think it will be very interesting to see how the captain's picks do in this. Yeah. And I think it'll be interesting to see how they perform. How do the emotions, we know what an emotionally charged week it is. I mean, Rory in tears in that interview that he gave on the Sunday of, of the, the match at Whistling Straits where he just felt like he'd let the team down. He hadn't played the golf that he was expecting to play. And, you know, you spoke about Medina, Claude. You know, you've been in those team rooms where I would imagine emotions are running on a totally different level to being with a player who may have just missed the opportunity to win a major championship. Um, quite unique experience for golfers. What's it like for you and and the change that you notice come across these guys when they are in that very, for, what, for, for golf, a very unique kind of situation? Well, you kind of know the players early on in the week that are struggling. The captains know this. The vice captains know this. All the players know it. All the caddies know it. So every, it's, it's, it's an impossibility. Rarely does it happen to where all 12 guys play good, right? It's just not going to happen. So as a coach, you're hoping that your players are going in there with some form. You're hoping that the players are going in there um, without any injuries. Um, you hope your players are going in there having maybe won recently or won this year. Um, so you're looking for all of these kind of external factors as to what could give you an idea of, of what's going to happen. But then you just see certain players – guys that just get hot right they just they start riding a hot putter um maybe they haven't been a great putter before but all of a sudden they just start riding a great i mean if you look at the golf that jamie donaldson played in um at glen eagles i mean the guy rose to the occasion right he rose to that occasion he got thrust into that and was like i'm in i'm i'm and they embraced it and I don't think there's a formula because you would think that Tiger and Phil would have been the ultimate Ryder Cup players, right? Given their performance and given the way that they played and given the way that they played in majors and given the way that they putted. And, and Tiger, by his own admission, just could not reproduce the putting that he could reproduce in regular tournaments and in majors in Ryder Cups. And then you have players that have never won majors and never really won massive big tournaments I remember the last time the U.S. won in 93, Peter Baker. I mean, that guy didn't miss a putt for three days, right? And I don't know if you guys, you guys won't remember this, but there was an American commentator named Jim Lampley who, he was a boxing guy, right? But he commentated for NBC at the Ryder Cup in 93. And on Sunday, when Peter Baker won his match and hold another 35-footer, <laughs> live on American television, Jim Lampley said, I will go ahead and say it now. Peter Baker will not only win one Masters championship, 
he will win too because that's how great a putter he is. <laughs> Peter Baker never won a Masters. He never went on to win anything, really, of the stature like you would think with you could putt that good. I remember 93, Joachim Hegman, a rookie, made every putt he looked at. Phil Price at um, the Belfry against yeah. Phil. I mean, Phil Price didn't even know how to celebrate. I mean, that fist pump's one of the most awkward things I've ever seen. <laughs> but this is my point, that you have these players that for this week, whether it's they give them a partner that they like and they feel comfortable with, I think that's another huge part of this is you have someone that you can lean on, that you can rely like, on and stuff. Is it a freeness that comes out? Because – as a spectator, you watch from the outside in, you watch, get to watch the golf, you get to watch the Ryder Cup players play. There's essentially there's a small amount of, tele- of golf going on in comparison to what we would see week in, week out. Yet you see more chip-ins, more yep. hole-outs from the fairway yep. than any other week during the Ryder Cup week. There's a freeness. Is it they're more aggressive? What are the key elements that you see you know, being close up, which brings out the best in these players. Is it their partners? Is it being liberated to go for it? Is it that we're not playing for money across four rounds, so I'm going to go for every shot more? I mean, that's one of the reasons why I think Tiger struggled, right? Is look at how many partners they were trying to give Tiger. They never found him a partner. Tiger never got Westwood and Clarkey, right? West, Westwood and Clarkey, were, they, were, they were the ride or die, right? They were, they were boys, right? You knew what you were going to get from them, right? So, yeah, Clarkey and Westwood were such a formidable team in the Ryder Cup. You know, Steady and, and Olafable, there was a comfort there, right? It was like they were playing as one unit. I think one of the reasons why Tiger struggled so much in the Ryder Cup is they couldn't find him a partner because a lot of people didn't want to play with him. And then when you're playing with him, you feel like you're letting him down if you hit a bad shot. So the pressure in playing with somebody like Tiger, there's no comfort there for another player, right? You're playing with the greatest player of all time and mm. you, you're playing alternate shot and you snap hook one out of bounds. You feel like you've just, I mean, you're, first of all, I'm guessing you're probably feeling embarrassed because, but I do think that you will find partnerships, you know, Frankie and, and, and Tommy in Paris. I mean, who would have thought that that one would have worked, Right. You just wouldn't think that that would be a good partnership. You know, they're very different people. I mean, Frankie's about as straight-lined and straight-faced as it gets, and Tommy's everybody's friend and everybody likes him. But you also saw – I think the great thing, Zane, is every year in the Ryder Cup, you'll see two guys get paired together that you wouldn't necessarily put together. And I mentioned this earlier, Brooks and, and Brant Snedeker. I mean, they're, they don't hang out together. They're not boys. They're about as different. You know, Brant is a southern frat boy, old school guy. Brooks is about a, you know, he's as far away from that as possible. And to watch those two and the, the, the gel and the camaraderie and the fact that they're still close, even after all of this, mm-hmm. right? And to me, that's the cool thing is you will find a partnership that is just like, hey, we didn't think this one was going to work. And all of a sudden, we're not going to have these guys not be on the same team. I think the interesting thing is going to be this golf course. And in um, talking to Brooks, he said it's – and his caddy, Ricky Ott, he said it's one of the toughest walks they've ever experienced. He thinks it's going to be very, very difficult just by the design of the golf course, how up and down – 
and up the hill and then down the hill and how hilly it is. He thinks it's going to be hard to just, okay, a team plays really good in the morning, send them back out in the afternoon. But I think from the U.S. side, you're going to see Xander and Patrick Cantlay play together. You're going to see Scotty Scheffler and Sam Burns play together. And you're going to see JT and Jordan play together. And all of this stuff, guys, about the good old boy network, about, you know, can't believe that JT got picked. The U.S. Ryder Cup team was not going to go to Rome without Justin Thomas on it. It just wasn't. And anybody thought that th- that thought that it was is crazy. And anybody that thinks that this good old boy network, both on the Euro side and the U.S. side, is something new, it's not. It's been going on for a long time. And, you know, I was talking to Brooks about this, you know, two nights ago when we were on the range. And he was like, listen, the JT thing, he's like, I get it. He's like, you need people that you, you trust. You need people in that room that you like because it's three days, right? That's it. It's three days. Mm-hmm. It's a week long, but the tournament is three days long. And so if you have somebody, I mean, say, imagine you going into a team competition and let's say one of the boys that you grew up with, you know, is one of your best friends you played all your junior golf with, who you basically hung out with while you were growing up is now a professional golfer. If he can get on that team and you can play with them, you're like, dude, you're going to the captain going, hey, get my boy on this team. I want to play with him. You want him on because you've got a couple of things there. And you've got one part where he can add to Jordan because he might go and play with Jordan practice rounds or Jordan might be struggling with something. But because he knows him well, he'll go, Jordan, you know you normally do this? And he'll be yeah. like, oh, yeah. You got, and there's that element to it, which is a big part. And then the second element would be he could just go back to being top boy, Justin Thomas, who's performing all the time. And then I think thirdly, which sometimes people miss, is that when you get a really big character like that, if he needs to sit out an afternoon, he'll have enough confidence to say, I need to sit out this afternoon to come back tomorrow. Yeah. Where you get an upstart and someone who feels like they need to be saying the right thing to go, they may, you may not get that from them. Which is where you, you know, the trust, the word trust you're using there is a big part of it. You need, it's likely that it's not all going to be positive, positive, positive. Part of the week, you know, so the three days, it always matches and it's a team effort, which means there's an ebbs and flows. Experienced players in the Ryder Cup do go well because they've got their experience and they're, they're normally the bigger players. You do understand that it comes ebbs and flows. They're not looking to be perfect. And if it's not great, when the chips are down, that's when they can add some value at the right time. Also, Zane, you know, like I said earlier, if, if you if you were playing on a Ryder Cup and, and one of your best friends, not only in golf, but one of your best friends in life was on the team, mm-hmm. and you weren't playing great, right? Okay, that would be something you would say, okay, I don't want to let this team down, and maybe I'm a little nervous and stuff. But they throw you into a, a two-man team with one of your boys. You can then relax and go, okay, He's my boy, right? He's my ride or die. I've known him since I was 10 years old. I know that no matter where I hit the golf ball, he's not going to judge me, and he's my boy, right? And I think that is a huge, huge part of this. I think that's why Sebi and and Olafable, to me, are the – they are such an iconic team because it was – they were family, right? Their relationship transcended golf, Right, yeah. way more important than golf. 
Remember when Mickelson sliced it out of bounds at Oak? I think it was Oak Hill in 04, playing with Tiger. It was just they yeah, they walked they walked down done. opposite sides of the fairway to go, to go and find that ball. Clarky and Clarky and Westwood. I've asked him about that, and Clarky and Westwood said that when Phil hit that ball offline, he said it wasn't necessarily. Tiger's reaction said the reaction Stevie Williams had was worse than all of them. Tiger's I got to ask that, Claude, just, quick, just quickly on on partnerships. You've mentioned so many. You, you mentioned obviously that the iconic one, Ollie and Seve, Westwood and Clark. There've been so many kind of anchor partnerships over the years for Team Europe, and I wonder, are they lacking one this year? Who do you see being the, the new superstar pairing for Europe that are going to bring in a lot of points for them? I think the nucleus of, obviously, for me, the nucleus of the European team is John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, and Victor Hovland, right? I mean, if you look at the way Vic played this year, FedEx Cup champion, you know, having a chance to win almost every major. Um, if you look at, you know, to me, those are the three superstars, right? And then you've got a guy like Matt Fitzpatrick, who's won a major championship. Um, you've got guys like Tommy. But I think the interesting thing is if you – what are you going to do with your three superstars? And are you going to basically say, okay, we're going to throw two of those guys together. I'd be surprised if we don't see Vic and Rory. I just, to me, that just seems like it's going to be a pairing. And I would be surprised if you don't see them throw John Rahm with Luda Albert. I mean, if you're Luda, you want to play with one of those three. You don't want to throw the two rookies together. I think you'd see Vic and, and Luda get thrown together and play together, and what a team that would be. I mean, that would be an amazing team. Having said that, Vic is playing unbelievable. John Rahm and Rory, I mean, they haven't won nearly as many golf tournaments as a lot of people think they should have this year, specifically. You know, obviously, Rory's been close a lot, but, um, you know, Rory didn't look 100% healthy kind of at the end of the year. So, what happens with that? And then, you know, you've got a lot of. I think it's a big, big Ryder Cup for Tommy Fleetwood. I really do. I think yeah. it's a really big opportunity for him to kind of step up and kind of say, okay, I got it done in Paris. Um, I've got to be one of those guys. Um, and from the U.S. side, I think Brooks is going to be an interesting who you pair Brooks with, um, who you pair Ricky Fowler with. You know, Max Homa. I mean, everybody's expecting Max Homa to step up on the big stage. Um, this is a big stage for Max. Um, you know, he hasn't contended in the majors i'm i know the way he wants to um and then you know the second guessing of if the captain's picks don't play well what's your take on on the dj not being picked guys uh, dj not have death and johnson on the team when i talked about earlier the old boy network that people said doesn't exist and you know can't believe it exists you know it exists on both sides um it does anybody that thought any live player other than Brooks Koepka because he qualified, had a chance to qualify and was so won a major. Anybody that thought that anybody from live that was going to get picked by the U.S. team, it, I mean, they're in fantasy land. It was never going to happen. I agree with you, Zane. If you're going to pick a guy like Justin Thomas, you're picking a guy like Justin Thomas because, one, he's boys with everybody and everybody likes him. Everybody's boys with DJ and everybody likes him. You're picking Justin Thomas off of the fact that he won a major in 2020 at Southern Hills. You're picking JT off of what he did last year from a performance standpoint, what he has done in past Ryder Cups. So I believe that's why JT got on the team and because he's boys with a bunch of players. 
you could make that argument for DJ five and zero last year. Listen, whether you want to, whether you like where he played last year, I'm his coach. I saw Dustin Johnson um, on live last year play some of the best golf I've seen him play. I saw him play some of the most consistent golf I've seen him play. Was DJ but upset, thought, Claude? Was DJ upset about, or was he expecting it? As much as you think you're expecting it, and listen, I think Taylor Gooch, Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, I'm sure they're like, listen, we're playing good. That that's the criteria, right? The criteria mm-hmm. is, but I think this is, I think this kind of also shows you that we're not done with the PGA Tour versus Live. We're not mm-hmm. done with that yet. No, I think yeah. that's still a thing, and until we figure out what's going to happen with the merger and stuff, but. In my opinion, there are some things that you could have bet the house on. You could have bet the house that Justin Thomas was going to be on the U.S. Ryder Cup team, and you could have bet the house that other than Brooks Kepka, no live player was going to be on it. It must be a proud moment for Brooks. I know that you know he obviously has achieved so much this year already, but if you told Brooks 12 months ago, maybe 18 <laughs> months ago, he was going to be on a Ryder Cup team, just through coming through the injury re- rehabilitation, Claude, it must have been quite an emotional call-up for him as well. Yeah, I mean, listen, it was something that he really wanted to do and something that was really important for him to do. He wanted to be on the, the Ryder Cup team more than I think a lot of people realize. But I think there is a segment of people in professional golf that wanted him not to be on this Ryder Cup team a hell of a lot more than he wanted to be on it. Um, it's just That's just the way things are right now. But no, I think if you look at how many tournaments Brooks had to qualify for the Ryder Cup, it's it's been an amazing story. And Listen, I think Brooks is – he's one of those guys, if you're on the U.S. team, you want him on this team. You know, you, you know what you're going to get. You know um, how much winning means to him. And um, – I think you'll see Wyndham Clark and Brooks Kepka play together, either in alternate shot or best ball. I'm American. That's what I call it. Yeah, I, and, and I know that in, in talking to Zach Johnson, Zach played a practice round with Brooks at the uh, the Open Championship. Not by design. We were walking to the first tee, and Zach came up behind me and you know talked to me. He's like, uh, where are you going? I said, uh, Brooks is going out to play with Cam Smith and, and Adam Scott. And he's like, oh, cool. Do you mind if I join? That wasn't planned. That was just just happened, and it was great. And Zach and – Brooks played a match against um, Cam and, and Scotty. And, you know, I talked to, to Zach a lot around the, the nine holes that we played. And he said that Wyndham Clark had already said that he wanted to play with Brooks. Um, so, and that, to me, that would, I mean, I think Zane would agree with that. I mean, two very similar type people, right? They're very much flatliners, um, tremendous amount of confidence in their own ability. I mean, the comments that Wyndham Clark said he thinks he's as good as Roy McElroy. Um, I think it's crazy to say stuff like that, but. You want guys, Zane, on your team that think like that, right? You want guys that think I'm the best player in the world. Now, whether they are or not, I don't know. But I'd rather have guys on the team that want to feel like they can beat the best players in the world than guys on the team going, yeah, I just hope I play well against Rory McIlroy. You want somebody on that team that thinks he can be. Now, you want to be. A, you is, want that guy on your team, right? That's the guy you want to play alongside. Now, he, he might be the Clark, best player for that day. And that might be the one yeah. day only forever in his whole life. But if he's the best player in the world that day, he's on your team, that's exactly what you want. And again, I think that's one of the things that the Euros have done, saying over the last 30 years, is no matter how great the US team was, no matter how star-packed they were, no matter how many majors they had, the Euros said, hey, listen, I feel like I'm a great player. I feel like I'm as good as these guys, and I'm going to go out there and try and prove it. So every year, the Ryder Cup rolls around, you'll have some... You know, in America, we call it bulletin board, you know, 
stuff you put on the bulletin board as the opposed go. And, you know, your boy McElroy is going to listen to Wyndham Clark say he thinks he's as good as he is and feels like he's better than he is. And Roy's going to kind of put that in the memory bank. And if he's got a two-footer, he's going to make Roy, a putt it. Before he really believes he's the best, and he'll deal with that the way that he should do, right? And step yeah. up. And, and luckily, from the outside, as fans, that's what that's actually what we want to see. Because this is the, the unique part of this tournament in golf in that for, like, for this week, you're allowed to just like want to win at all costs. Whereas yep. most weeks, like it's almost, you know, I'm a Brit, right? So yeah, when it all costs, like you know, I want to win, but I want to wait. I want you to play well, but I want me to play better. This week it's like, uh, you know what, we don't care. How we get across the line, we just want to win this match. That's my favorite thing being an American is every two years, all of a sudden you guys are all Europeans. It's great. All of a sudden you're, you're, you're a European, right? You're not British. Yeah. You, you don't, you know, Euro, European championships, World Cup, you guys are ready to kill each other. But two, every two years, you guys all just want to yeah. be happy family. It's great. I'm learning, I'm learning the Norwegian national anthems, uh, Claude. <laughs> Listen, I'll let, let we've kept you a long time. I appreciate this, Claude. We love, obviously, we, thank you so much for coming on the our new podcast over here with the DP World Tour. We really appreciate it. Uh, I want to get your favourite Ryder Cup memory in the thir- the three decades that you've been attending Ryder Cups. Uh, you've seen so much, Claude. What what's been the moment that stands out for you? Hey, listen, there's a lot of them. Um, '93 was was always something that I'll remember. Um, that Sunday in 93 at the Belfry, still one of the loudest roars I've ever heard on a golf course was when Faldo made that hole in one on the back nine. I stand right by the green when it went in. I've never heard anything like that. But I've also never heard a crowd that loud get that quiet when Davis Love, um, when Constantino Rocca missed that putt on 17. It got really quiet there because all of a sudden everybody was kind of going, wait a minute, uh, uh, we might lose this thing. I think the special moments in Ryder Cups for me are those matches that are late in the afternoon. They're a pivotal match. Everybody else is done. And you have these matches, these one or two matches late in the day on Friday, Saturday, where everybody's done. And on one side of the fairway and on one side of the green, there is the entire U.S. team, all the captains, all the vice captains, all the carts, all the wives, all the players, all the caddies, and then on the other side, and there are these rolling kind of, you know, traveling circuses for the last two holes. And the sun's going down, and there's no other golf on the golf course, so all the fans are kind of crowding around these last two or three holes, and the matches mean something. And you're sitting there, and you're leaning kind of on everybody's shoulders watching these matches. And I'm not even a player, right? And it's very rare that you know us as coaches even get involved in something like that it gives me goosebumps so i can't even imagine what it's like as a player i really can't and um i think these matches guys are going to be uh, there has been since whistling straits everybody thinks that the u.s is on a heater that we've got this kind of stacked lineup and this is our generation and this is our chance to go on a run of you know three four five in a row but I just think this is going to be much more competitive than people think. I think anybody that thinks this is going to be a U.S. whitewash, I mean, it's crazy. I think the matches are going to be very, very close. And I think there's an argument to be made um, on both sides uh, that you could see a U.S. win and you could see a, um, a European win. But I'm excited to get there. I haven't seen, I'm, like I said, I'm flying over with Brooks and, and Ricky tonight. I'm excited to see the golf course. And, um, you know, I, I've said it. 
throughout the last hour, this is a putting contest. The team that putts the best will win this Ryder Cup. It doesn't matter how you hit it. Whoever putts the best will win this Ryder Cup. And uh, I'm excited to see it start. I, I didn't think I could get more excited for the Ryder Cup, Claw, but you've just dialed it up another notch. <laughs> the best part about next week is um, there's really not a lot I can do. So um, I get to watch a lot. I get to cheerlead a lot. But uh, I'm excited and uh, I think it's going to be really, really uh, good matches. Brilliant insight. Brilliant stuff there from Claude. And I have to say, I am envious that he is on that flight over to Rome, Zane. Although... I'm going to be getting incredible value for money out of my sofa this weekend. It it will be parked upon for three consecutive days. And I think it's 36 hours of uninterrupted coverage. And I I don't intend on missing a single shot, Zane. I think it's going to be lots of us in that same boat there, Robbie. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) It's a bit, when the major championships come around, you want to see every shot. And then a Ryder Cup, even more so, because there's actually less golf going on. You know, we've obviously got, there's a, it seemed like it was a bit more invested. But yeah, as you know, as you said, being able to be able to, of any week, like you said, Claude being on the plane, going over there, to just know what's going on behind the scenes this week is almost more than any other week. We don't normally get that in golf. There's not really, you know, like the stories that go on off the golf course are not, you know, at a tournament, not really a thing, but the Ryder Cup, everyone wants to know. I mean, uh, I see that the uh, full swing Netflix guys have not been able to, not got access into the US team room. And some of those things that Claude was chatting about there, about, you know, some of the camaraderie, you know, and, and everyone has this, all the Europeans are best mates. And, you know, and it's not been the case for Americans. And Claude, yeah, maybe shed them some light. They're like, they're not actually best mates. They get on, but they're not as close as it would be. And I, I, I would kind of go along with that because you've got golfers from different cultures, you know, not 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 just, you know, different parts of the country like uh, the US have. Different cultures, not to say that they don't get along, but, you know, the Scandinavian guys are going to have a different way of socialising, eating, so forth, than uh, the Spanish players. And it's different, for, you know, and... You know, it's up to the Brits. It is very different. Yeah, it makes you realise, perhaps, or makes you understand at least why, say, a John Rahm comes out so staunchly in defence of Sergio Garcia. Looking at it objectively mm. speaking, you know, it's very difficult to make a case for Sergio on pure golf, on pure form, particularly given how he has had complicated relations with certain key members, certain leadership members in that team. Now, whether he's mended fences or not in the interim, okay, I think maybe progress Mm. has been made on that front. But I raised an eyebrow when I saw John's comments because I thought, Sergio, are you kidding me? He's He's not played that well this last 12 or 18 months. But of course, just like Claude was alluding to, John and Sergio, both Spanish, you know, they've got a rapport they understand one another. They're culturally very similar. And absolutely, the fact that these guys in Team Europe are thrown together from these different nationalities, you do look for those home comforts. You look for that familiarity. And, and it kind of helps you almost understand why John would, would be going into bat for Sergio. Exactly. And, and but then that obviously would then go on, you know, I would say Rory has had opinions on live golf and so forth. And then does that... These are small things that Europe have never had to deal with before. So those small stories are something we don't get, nobody really getting golf because everyone's kind of just going about their own business. Exactly. It's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's such a unique event because it takes a sport that is so individual and it places it in a team context. And, you know, Liv has come along and, and created a team environment, but I'm sorry, nothing compares to the Solheim, the Ryder Cups. And 
to a lesser extent because I think it's lacked competitiveness, the President's Cup. Great insight from Claude. It's it's a massive week for, for not just golf, but also for Italian golf as well. And I actually want to bring in our next special guest on the podcast because this week we are joined by three-time DP World Tour winner Guido Midliozzi, who was in contention to qualify for the team but he didn't quite play the golf he was hoping for this year. Now, when you're a young player, Zane, and you want something so badly, Guido, 26 years of age, had a wonderful year last year, top 30 in the race to Dubai order of merit, but he he was getting a lot of pressure and a lot of questions and a lot of scrutiny on his bid to qualify as a home talent, as an Italian player. Very difficult to produce your best golf under that level of pressure, isn't it? Um, yeah, it is very, very difficult. The The, the part of getting himself into the frame in that conversation of getting a pick for the Ryder Cup or getting into the Ryder Cup team, you know, in Italy, in any country, like he wouldn't have been thinking about that. He was just going out there, being a young guy on tour, playing well, bring, brimming with confidence, you know, good goal, kind of breathe good goal, you know, making money, you know, winning tournaments, that's all fantastic and playing some really great golf. And all of a sudden, good play and good results and looking forward has now become turned into expectation as most people will know, as expectation goes higher, your flow state goes down. Things get harder because you, you can't grab little bits of confidence that you could before. Every time you had like a, a half-decent finish, like maybe a top 10, you would have gone, oh, that's great. You know, young player, what, what a fantastic week, well done. All of a sudden now it's like, well, if you'd gotten top five, oh, you know, you would have got more points. And then you also, like, then you, you're chasing and your goals become everyone else's goals. You know, he's just out there playing good golf, and that's what gets you on the team. All of a sudden, you're going out. Every time you go to practice, you're thinking, oh, if I'm going to get into this Ryder Cup team, I've got to make sure I hit, hit the ball that like that every time. And that's very different going to practice and being like, I'm just having a great time out here. You know, I'm playing for myself. You know, got, not, everyone's telling me how great I am. All of a sudden, people are saying, they're comparing you to players who are better than you. And I mean, better not necessarily in terms of potential of talent just like more established players who have seen it more have more experience have been there all of a sudden you're expected to perform it at their level really early on and um, yeah all of a sudden getting into that Ryder Cup team something you want so badly it becomes so difficult you know it's that to get what you want to want to get to to not think about it is so difficult to do Absolutely. And, and Guido alludes to that here. I, I didn't want to dwell on it, obviously. I mean, it was disappointing for him, but the Ryder Cup always on the back of his mind. And in hindsight, he did say it had an impact on his play. Yeah, that was my main goal for this year. Uh, Try to make the team, of course, um, you know, a little upset because I, I didn't. But maybe I was putting more pressure on myself that cost me, you know, I was not playing great. And because of that, that was putting me more pressure. Uh, and not really good, honestly. You know, I didn't had very, very great times uh, as well during the year. And now I just want to try to come back playing golf. Uh, try to enjoy what I'm doing uh, because we're playing golf for a living. So it's the best thing we can do and, uh, as well. I'm... Um, trying to remember myself that I'm doing a, a beautiful sport, a beautiful, I've got a beautiful job. So at the moment, that's the the most important thing for me. That's interesting that you say that. And obviously, look, Guido, 
you know, it's in Italy. It's the first time the Ryder Cup has ever been held in Italy. I would imagine people like me asking you every single week about the Ryder Cup whenever you're out on tour, that's going to take an emotional toll, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, we couldn't dream that Ryder Cup would be in Italy. So uh, for Italy, it's a very, very big step. Uh, I hope that more more players will come through uh, in the Italian soil. And for us, it's a, it's a pleasure to host it. I want to get your early memories of watching the event and kind of getting inspired by it. Yeah, well, I had an experience in Hazeltine uh, where my my management team invited me to, to go there and, and to see it, watch the Rally Cup. That was back in 2016, if I'm wrong. So... I lived that Ryder Cup inside the ropes. It was an incredible experience to see the best guys on on the world competing against each other. And that week inspired me a lot because, um, and I've always dreamed to to be part of the team one day. Uh, just because you know it's an amazing feeling, it's an amazing atmosphere, and um, I just don't like the U.S. patrons <laughs> because. Uh, <laughs> But it's okay. I mean, it's part of the game. It's part of the the Ryder Cup. Uh, So you have to handle it. Of course. Yeah, of course. And this one is going to be on home. So do you plan on attending, Guido? Will you be in Rome for the Ryder Cup to to, to watch as a spectator? Uh, We'll see. I'll probably be there to support Team Europe and uh, to to watch inside the ropes what it is for, uh, for Team Europe being being in the, in the European soil, so it will be an amazing week. Just wondering as to, as to what this can do for Italian golf, well, what do you think it can do? Do you think it can inspire a future generation? It's a massive event. It's going to create a lot of buzz. Um, you know, what's, what are your expectations of it down the line? Yes, of course. I mean, uh, we all hope that Ryder Cup will bring more people coming, uh, coming to our sport because it's, uh, it's an incredible event. It's one of the best events in the world. What can I say? I mean, it's the Ryder Cup. What other tournaments can inspire a little a little boy playing golf to try to be professional, try to compete? And uh, it's just an, an amazing event to, to watch and to get people to know about golf. Who was your sort of first golfing hero, Guido? Is there one player that stands out that you were following as a youngster from a young age watching play in major championships? Well, from my young age, I remember Tiger Woods winning. And then Matteo Manassero was uh, my idol as well when I was a kid because uh, he was uh, was riding the wave. He was doing great. And uh, I'm so happy that he's doing better now in, uh, in China's tour. He will be back on the... DP World Tour and um, so yeah I would say and Molinari as well Matteo I actually interviewed him a couple of months ago he was playing in Abu Dhabi on the Challenge Tour at Sadiak Beach Golf Club and um, I met him initially when he was coming out at 16 winning DP World Tour events this is what 12-13 years ago and that guy has got such humility and it's it's such an inspiring story actually because you know he had everything so young and he lost his game. And then by sheer dedication to the sport and by refusing yeah. to walk away from it, he's now built himself up where, as you say, he won on the Challenge Tour. He's third in the Challenge Tour rankings. I mean, it's it, it's a story that it inspires you on so many different ways because his performance yeah, is at 17, you know, he's inspirational. But now even what he's doing at 30, 
Equally so. Yeah, I mean, even now, I mean, probably, you know, when everything is going right, when everything comes easy to you, it's it's easy to play golf. But then when when mistakes try to to block you, when mistakes are in your head, and then then it's hard to turn the page to switch on the light again. And uh, what is he doing now? I mean, it took time because uh, it's not easy. But um, you know, it's uh, an inspirational moment for uh, for all the golfers because uh, there's no one end. We have the luck to play a sport where you can be competing. You can compete until you know 65, 70 years old. Look at Bernard Langer. Look at Jimenez. I mean, those guys are still competing and with their age. And there's no there's no age limits. And uh, what is he doing now? It's just remarkable yeah Matteo Manassero what a story that is and you know Guido talking about the longevity of the game there Zane you can unlike other sports have room for those stories where you get incredible rises incredibly dramatic falls for Matteo Manassero to kind of start all over again and and actually get a win on the challenge tour this year having spoken to Matteo earlier this year I found that very inspiring and um you know, I, I wish him well. I really hope we see him because he's obviously a great player and, you know, he would he would definitely enrich the DP World Tour if he is able to win a card back onto it. He certainly will. I mean, it's a, it's a tough story to follow, you know, just in for himself. But what a fantastic story, you know, to win the, the PJ Championship at, at Wentworth and win four times before his 21st birthday. And then, as you say, to drop off and then come back on this Ryder Cup team, you know, Justin Rose went through that fourth at the Open Championship as a 17-year-old, then missed 21 cuts in a row, like missed 21 cuts in a row, and somehow just keep going, just keep going. And then since then, he's become world number one, he's won the US Open, and now at the age of, I think, what, 43, 44, to be still on the Ryder Cup team. I mean, it's stunning. And that, that kind of will hopefully show, hopefully we'll see a similar story from Matteo yeah, the durability of these guys, the perseverance as well. It's not an easy sport, particularly when you do lose your way a little bit. And it's 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 dog eat dog. We know how competitive it is. We know how tough it is. It's just getting harder and harder to earn those cards on the DP World Tour year after year. Uh, Zane, I'm conscious that you know this podcast. Uh, it was always going to go long. I think we were. It's a biggie. It's, big <laughs> it's the Ryder Cup week. Uh, you and I are both very excited, and that has translated into an overtime podcast. Um, I'm conscious as well that uh, neither of us have made a prediction on this podcast. Uh, I'm not one for predictions because I'm very bad at them, but I do feel like we need to hang our hat on a couple just so that we can come back and revisit this in the next episode and just dwell on how wrong we got it. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and I'll I'll maybe have a chip in myself. I want to know from you, Zane, who will be the top dog in this Ryder Cup? You know, last Ryder Cup, it was DJ, 5-0. In prior Ryder Cups, Rory's had monster Ryder Cups, Fleetwood and Molinari with Mollywood over in France. Of the names, of the big guns in the frame, your Rory's, your John Rahm's, your Scotty Schefflers, your Victor Hovland's, Brooks Kepkers, Patrick Cantlay's, Tommy Fleetwood's, Jordan Spieth's, Justin Thomas's, who is going to be the dominant player in Italy? From a, uh, on the European side, I'm going to go with John Rum, 
just because he's been slightly out of the conversation this year. There's been a lot of Scotty Scheffler. There's been a lot of Rory McIlroy, as always. And then Victor Hovland has come in and he's you know, on a fantastic season, finished that off with the FedEx Cup. And I think John Rahm has been slight, slightly out of the conversation. And I think he's going to have a real point to prove. And he's the, he'll carry that. He had a, you know, he had a pretty good, successful first Ryder Cup. Last time, you know, he was, it was down to him and Rory's carry the team. I think he's really ready for this. Um, you know, a slightly different situation now, being a dad and so forth, I think a little bit of perspective. That would be my European guy. On the US team, you know what, I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna put it out there a bit. So I think Justin Thomas okay. is gonna have a good Ryder Cup. I just think he's gonna have a good Ryder Cup. I just think that he's gonna be as Claude alluded to, he's gonna be around Jordan Speeth, gonna be slightly different to the rest of the year. He, when he had this massive dip in form, he was like I don't feel like I'm having a massive dip in form. I'm just not scoring. And that's different to not having a clue where your game is. And I just think, I'm just I'm going to put my neck out there. I might get completely shot down. But I just think Justin Thomas is going to have a good Ryder Cup. What are you saying? I think Rory is going to bounce back. He obviously wasn't happy with how he performed at Whistling Straits. He, he's definitely got that in the back of his mind. He wants to atone for that. He will be the leader in the team alongside John. I'm sure You know, Rory will be carrying a lot of that responsibility as the team leader and you know I, I agree with Claude I think there's a good chance Rory will play with a, a Ludwig Aberg um, you know a younger rookie who who I think will inspire him as well I think he's gonna have a big week I do think Rory will have a big week I know that's not exactly sticking my neck out Zane um, I'm not, I haven't I haven't haven't gone rogue with that prediction at all but um, as for the Americans that's tough I look at Scotty Scheffler I do worry about his putting Claude was you know, repeatedly yeah. saying that this is a putting contest. Scotty's putting is a concern. He was brilliant at whistling straights, mm. but I wonder how he'll do on the uh, the course at Marco Simone. So I think that's a bit of a question mark there. You know, Cantlay will be solid, I'm sure. Uh, Patrick Cantlay, always a solid performer. I think Spieth is due a big one. Spieth is due a big week. So I'm looking at those guys. And, you know, I, I see more consistency through the team in America I see Europe front loading with those big names and kind of doing a lot of the, the, the heavy lifting if you like I think the USA are, are, have a more strength in depth so I think their rookies and we're just about to go through their rookies I think their rookies will potentially be the ace in the hole for the USA because if we move on to top rookie point scorer from the eight four on each team that are making their debuts you've got Brian Harmon Wyndham Clark Sam Burns and Max Homer on the American team you've got Ludwig Aberg, Nikolai Hoygaard Sepp Stracker and, and Robert McIntyre on the European team which one of those rookies on either of those teams stands out as the guy who's going to be hot this week? Well, coming into it, I was going to say Wyndham Clark. But with his recent comment this week about, you know, saying that he's got all the respect in the world for Rory, but, you know, he believes himself to be a better player. I think he's put a bit of a target on his back for that, which I don't think will serve him very well. I think the Europeans going to be really, especially if he comes up against Rory at any point, we're really up to beating him. So that being, with that part being said... I would love to see Max Homer do well, but for me, Sam Burns is like a bit of a sleeper. Like, no one really talked about Sam Burns yet. He's been top 15 in the world. He's a proper golfer. I commentated on a couple of, of his PJ Tour wins, and there is no messing about that guy. He knows how to get it done and is very much on the front foot, go for it sort of golfer. So, Sam Burns on the US side. And then on the European team, it's a bit of a tricky one. 
I think we, I, I think our, our our rookies are quite volatile because they are literally like they feel like real rookies. Um, but that being said, I, you, know, I'm, you know what I'm going to I'm going to say Ludwig Aberg. Okay. And I think <laughs> partly because he's going to be paired with Rory, he's going to be paired with a top player. I think if he just has a good first nine holes, whatever his first match is, he's just going to feel like the world is his. Okay. What, you? what, what are you saying? Uh, well, I, I can't go with thinking? those. Sh- those are two very solid shouts. I- I'm going to go Brian Harmon. I think, you know, he showed some serious grit at the Open. You know, he actually reveled in being told by a spectator that he didn't have the stones, as he put it, to win a claret jug. And he went ahead and just rolled royced it and completely romped to the claret jug. So he's proven that he can play in difficult conditions. He played well the week before in Scotland as well. Um, I'm not comparing Marco Simone Country Club to a Scottish Lynx by any means but you know he's not a textbook PGA Tour player I don't think he's, he's not the same profile as a guy that, that would that maybe struggle on a on a tight course with heavy rough as Claude alluded to so I think Brian uh, will be a good partner for anyone on the team and I see him very much holding his own so I'm going Brian Harmon for the US in terms of the rookies I'm going to stick my neck out on this one I think Bob McIntyre is going to surprise a few people. A lot of people are saying he might be a little bit out of his depth when compared to some of the other quality players on on either side. I think that he's going to be a guy that relishes the Ryder Cup. He likes a bit of a dogfight, does Bob McIntyre. He relishes competition. And I just think that, you know, if if he gets the opportunity and he gets paired with the right partner, I think uh, watch out because I think he will do some damage on that uh, on that team for for Europe. But you know, as you say, a lot more volatile on the European side. I've gone for two gritty, but you got to you got to go for the gritty guys in Ryder Cups. So I guess that leads us to the sort of final prediction, which is who the heck is winning this thing? Zane, are the US breaking their thirty-year away game drought and establishing this dynasty, this new? era of dominance in the Ryder Cup or are Europe once again confounding expectation and putting Team USA back in their place? <laughs> only, only allowed to send good vibes into the universe um, and that being the case I think it's going to be a really close contest I think we I say we, you know we deserve a close contest it's not been close last few, few Ryder Cups I think this is going to be the one. I think it's going to be really, really tight. I think it's going to be a 15-13 uh, to Europe. But yeah, I just, you know what? I actually just don't want to whitewash. Whatever it, first and foremost. The fact you're close. backing Europe is just completely a given. You're not, that's not even a, that's not even yeah. a question. You're backing exactly. Europe. It's actually how I want us to win. Oh, I see. And right. Just, just, but I just want it close. So I, I actually wouldn't, I would actually prefer it to be, you know what? I, I don't go far to say I'd be, I prefer it to be close, but I can't can't say we don't win, but we maybe don't win, as opposed to uh, you know a big easy win would be interesting. I just, I just really really want it to be close, and then I just want Ludwig Aberg or, or, or you know one of the European players to hold that part on the last screen to get us across the line. I think what are you I think it will be close. I think you know we're overdue, as you say, we're we're very much overdue a close one. Miracle of Medina was the last truly close Ryder yeah. Cup, so yeah, we're definitely due one. Um, I think it will be. I, I do see these teams. I think that the extra strength of the Americans will be counterbalanced by the home advantage of the Europeans. I can't predict a win for the USA. I can't do it. I'm going to go Team Europe. <laughs> that, I, I, I wanted to, to go the, 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 the other way that you went, but 
I just can't do it. I can't bring myself to do it. I am team DP World Tour. I am team Europe through and through. As Claude, who was teasing us earlier, did mention, we are very European this week, Zane. So you and I are both very much yellow and blue for this week. But it's yeah. as you say, it's going to be brilliant. I cannot wait. It's the 44th edition of the Ryder Cup. It tees off on Friday. We're going to be back in a week's time to look back on it all and to reflect on it. And I hope you've enjoyed this very extended episode of the First Tee podcast with the DP World Tour. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, please do subscribe. You can find us on, we're on Apple, we're on Spotify, all your usual platforms to find your podcast. And, and obviously, we'd love you to subscribe and give us a listen. And, and we do thank you for doing so. But Zane, I think it's time to stake out a spot on that sofa. It's time to load up the snack cupboard. It's time to load up the fridge and uh, three days of unadulterated Ryder Cup viewing on the horizon, my friend. Life is good. Come on, Team Europe. Let's do it. (laughs) Come on, Team Europe. We're going to be back next episode with a full look back on the 44th Ryder Cup. Enjoy it. It's going to be an absolute classic, I'm sure of that. From myself, Robbie, and from Zane, that's all from us on the first tee. We'll catch you next time. Dubai Eye 103.8. Join the conversation.